said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against them, against him during the supper, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. And he has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is God's word. May God add a blessing to it as we hear it proclaimed. You may be seated. <clears throat> So again, um, we're kind of rounding off the end of the Gospel of John and looking at three final pleas, three imperatives from this passage, but also kind of in a bigger sense from the whole book. Um, We saw last week, uh, Peter went fishing with six other disciples, seven of them got into a boat and went fishing all night long. How much fish did they catch? As we're here, well, they caught 150. They ended up catching 153. That's right. Of their own will, they caught zero, no fish, until Jesus called from the shore, "Children, have you caught anything?" And they say no. And he says, "We'll put the put the net to the right, see what you get." 
So they do catch 153 fish. John realizes it's the Lord. And they remember their first meeting when Jesus called them to follow him. And then Peter, realizing it's the Lord, jumps, hurls himself into the sea, swims to the shore, fully clothed. And they have breakfast together. Jesus already has a little fire set up and some fish and some bread. And they commence to eat together with the risen Jesus Christ. Pretty cool. And we, we talked about waiting on the Lord um, and, and his sovereignty and him being in control last week. Well, Jesus is now going to single out Peter at the end of the breakfast. And through his discussion with Peter, we sort of see John purposefully rounding out the book. John's the only one that records this, and he doesn't even record the Great Commission at the end. He, he ends so differently than the other guys. He really wants us to, to get, I think, with this conversation with Peter, what he's been trying to show us throughout the entire Gospel of John. And that's three things, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to believe in Jesus. And I wish I could preach three individual sermons, uh, but we're going to try to get all three of those, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus. So let's look at verse 15. When they'd finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is probably a passage you've heard before. Kind of this famous ending with Peter uh, after they'd had breakfast by the shore. And, and Jesus turns to him and asks him these three questions repetitively. Do you love me? First stating, do you love me more than these? And, and remember, they're still on the beach here. There's a fire sort of dimming down. The smell of fish and charcoal fills the air. We don't know what they talked about during breakfast. But now, Jesus is singling out Peter. And let's put this in perspective. Peter just swam 100 yards through the sea to get to the shore after a night of sleeplessness on a boat trying to stay awake and catch fish. He greeted Jesus on the shore. He helped the others get the fish on land, and then he ate breakfast. But no one else was soaking wet that morning. Only Peter was the one dripping wet, trying to dry off by the fire, because he jumped in the water. So at first, it seems like maybe a question concerning that event. Peter, did your swimming out to shore prove that you love me more than the other disciples? Well, I'm the only one soaking wet, Jesus. So, I mean, what do you think? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Good answer, right? What faith Peter shows to say so confidently, not only that he does love Jesus more than the other disciples, but that he loves him the most and Jesus knows it. You know, you know that I love you more than these. How would Jesus respond? He says, first, feed my lambs. I wasn't there that day, but I have a feeling Peter was not expecting that. That's not a normal response to, I love you, feed my lambs. And Peter classically doesn't think much anyway. But a normal response might have been, I love you too, 
or thanks. I can tell because you're all wet right now. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, feed my lambs. Interesting. It's going to get even more interesting because Jesus asks him again. Number two, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter doesn't skip a beat. Maybe Jesus is playing some kind of he loves me, he loves me not game. Where's this going? It doesn't seem like Peter's exactly bothered by being asked this second time. He just responds. Maybe, maybe Jesus misheard me the first time. Let me say again. No, I, I, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus' response, number two, tend my sheep. Slightly different than the first one, but kind of the same concept. We'll talk a little bit about that. And now this third time, he asks him again, do you love me? And this time, John explains a little bit more detail. At this third questioning, Peter was grieved. That word means intense emotional distress. This is the same grieving that's used in Genesis 3.16, referring to the pain of childbirth. He was grieved. And Peter realized that Jesus didn't have a hearing problem. He was doing this on purpose. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. What else happened to Peter recently in which he was questioned about something three times? Are you one of his disciples? Are you one of his disciples? Are you one of his disciples? No, I do not know him. No, I do not know him. No, I do not know him. And the rooster crowed. The piercing eyes of Christ met Peter's, and he went away weeping bitterly, for he had denied Christ, as Jesus prophesied. And this, I think, is the same kind of grief that's now welling up in Peter again. I mean, Jesus knew Peter's sin, and I think he's alluding to it with these three questions. Do you think we're just going to ignore that whole event, pretend like that never happened? Think we're not, we're not going to talk about that? Have you not read Jeremiah 16, 7, Peter? For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. Do you not remember Job's words, Peter? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? Do you not remember, Peter, uh, what Psalm 34 says, which Peter would end up quoting in, in his letter, 1 Peter, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Jesus was showing him that he really does know all. I do know, Peter. I do know. And I know that the heart is desperately wicked. And so Peter, with, with tears welling up in his eyes, he responds, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So he says, once again, feed my sheep. And there are at least two things going on here concerning love for Jesus that I think John is trying to pull out for the readers and that I am trying to pull out for you this morning. First of all, to truly love Jesus is to know your sin as well as the forgiveness of Christ. To truly love Jesus is to know your own sin as well as the forgiveness of Christ. Peter was overlooking his sin. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And with those three questions, Jesus is masterfully bringing to light Peter's recent sin of denying him and simultaneously offering forgiveness for that sin. You know, a lot of people say, hate the sin, love the sinner. 
That's not a very good phrase because it's not enough. Jesus brings sin to light. He calls it out. And he waits for Peter to feel the ultimate grief and sorrow for his rebellion against the God of the universe. R.C. Sproul defines sin as cosmic treason. How about that? But out of that godly grief comes true repentance and understanding of forgiveness and what the cross was for and freedom to live in the light of grace and a heart that overflows with exuberant love for Jesus Christ. This is why a heart that truly loves Jesus is also regularly broken by their own sin. Jesus is not lovable until we see our sins as unforgivable. Jesus does the unthinkable. He forgives unforgivable sins. And he doesn't just forgive it. He dies for it. That it might go to the grave. That it would be dealt with. That the penalty would be paid for our cosmic treason against God. And so if we know the true weight of our sin, we would know restoration. And we would love Jesus shamelessly and dutifully because we know our sin, we know forgiveness. And the second piece to this, I think, is that repetitive question. Aside from Peter's sin and restoration, we've got to consider Jesus' response. Right? What does he say three times? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He uses two verbs and two nouns. The two verbs are feed and tend. Feed and tend. Feed means to graze, to nourish, to give thoughtful, spiritual in this case, sustenance to someone or something. It can refer to a mother feeding her baby, a farmer feeding his animals, or a pastor feeding his church. Obviously, since Peter isn't a farmer or a parent or a pastor... Well, he's going to be a pastor, perhaps. An apostle, Jesus means something different. A spiritual type of feeding. And then we've got the word tend, and that word is poimen in the Greek, which is actually one of the words to interpret as pastor, shepherd, ruler, governor. Peter would one day again write, poimen, the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd, the flock of God that is among you. To tend to care for, to shepherd, to rule with a rod, to guide, and to guard. So we went, when we put feeding and tending together with Jesus' response, we, we get the unique job description that Jesus is writing for Peter. Feed and tend. Feed and tend. Well, who is Peter supposed to feed and tend if he loves Jesus? Two nouns, lambs and sheep. Lambs and sheep. A lamb is a young baby sheep. Not too complicated, right? It is what would have been slaughtered during every Passover and in many other offerings throughout the Old Testament. It's also what Jesus would be referred to in multiple times throughout the book of Revelation, the Lamb of God. In a spiritual sense, we'd understand a lamb to be a new believer, someone who's young in their understanding of the gospel someone who's not been under the yoke of Christ very long. A sheep is not different from a lamb other than that it's older. It's been assimilated into the flock of the sheep, which are kept and fed by the shepherd and put in place over those sheep. And this is who Peter will be feeding and tending to if he loves Jesus. So what in the world are we supposed to get from this? It means that loving Jesus implies love for the church. Loving Jesus means you love the church. 
And loving the church means you serve the church. Feed her. You tend her. We show our love by feeding the flock the word of God and tending to their care. We do not show our love for Christ by entertaining goats, by living for the culture, or producing a show that the world will take part in. We show our love for Christ by pursuing biblical, faithful, nourishing food, which is the word of God. What a testimony that you've allowed these preachers to preach to you an entire gospel for over two years. That's why we read Psalm 119 that Diane read this morning, because we love the word of God. His testimonies are true. We need them. We love them. This is where we get bread. This is where we get food. This has an intense application for pastors, but it's for all of us. What sustenance can we give each other outside of what is revealed in the God-breathed scriptures? This is a serious call to robust discipleship for people who love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Who are you discipling? Who are you helping love Jesus more if you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, then you help other people love Jesus. When the church is full of sheep who love him, the people who encounter the church are hit with a wave of sin-forgiving, Christ-loving, lamb-feeding, sheep-guarding children of God. I'd love to camp out here more for a little while, but what you need to know right now is that if you love Jesus, you're going to pursue discipleship, whether they be lambs or sheep. We feed the church. We guard the church. And we've already discovered this before in John's gospel, but Jesus is showing us again that loving him will be costly. To truly love Jesus is going to mean to love his church. If our affections have been stirred for him, then we are going to love the sheep and taking on that life is going to be very costly. That's why what John wants us also to see here at the end of this book is that we don't just love Jesus, we follow Jesus. We don't just love him, we follow him. That'd be shallow love, wouldn't it? If we weren't willing to follow. Look at verse 18 and following. Truly, truly, I say to you, oh, I'm sorry, no, verse uh, yeah, that's right, verse, verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. John sort of puts the parentheses in here. I'm talking now, not Jesus. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Stop there for a second. But this is maybe one of the biggest mood killers ever in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then go and feed my sheep. Awesome. By the way, here's how you're going to die. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and you'd walk around wherever you wanted. And that means... You had the means, you had the ability, you had the general motor skills as a younger person to pretty much wear whatever you want and do whatever you want. A few Wednesday nights ago, uh, Lon reminded you guys that it wasn't that long ago that I was a teenager, right? He, he made sure to bring that up for everybody. Um, as a teenager, two of my favorite things to do were to wear whatever I wanted and to do whatever I wanted, to go wherever I wanted. One of my favorite... Uh, 
bands called the Avert Brothers, they sing this song called 16 in July. Reminisces on what it was like to be 16, to have a driver's license, to have a car, go wherever you wanted, do whatever you wanted, listen to that staticky radio like it was the coolest thing you ever done before. That's what he's talking about here, this, this idea of freedom. This is the life, Peter, you used to have. You used to go and do whatever you wanted, but something changed. Now, when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, on the one hand, this is a very normal part of life. For many of us, we grow old and someone has to take care of us. As they take care of us, we lose some choices. We lose freedom. We, use, we lose that feeling of youth that we once had. But we know that Jesus is talking about something bigger here because of what John inserts, right? This was to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So this isn't just Peter literally growing old. This is Jesus prophesying Peter's death. We don't know precisely how Peter dies, but the early writings of the church allude to Peter being martyred for his faith, being crucified as Jesus was, but upside down because he did not count himself worthy to die in the same manner as his Savior. And what happens when you're placed on a cross of wood? Someone will stretch out your arms and put you where you do not want to go. And then Jesus says, follow me. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Not, not like the American thing, like we got to follow Jesus, get right with God kind of stuff. I'm talking about what, not what your mom and them used to bring you up in, not just going to church on Sundays. I'm talking about John chapter 21. What does the Bible actually say about following Jesus? According to John 21, it means you might be crucified if your leader was crucified. Am I wrong in that interpretation? You know, we, we, we like to use something called Pascal's Wager sometime. Maybe you've, you've heard of it. There was this guy named Blaise Pascal in the 1600s who made up this argument. I think this guy was a believer. He really wanted atheists to understand and know uh, that there was a God. But his wager would go like this. It's in our own best interest to live as though God exists because the possibility of eternal punishment in hell outweighs whatever advantage you might have in living a life as if God didn't exist. You ever heard that before? So basically, you got nothing to lose by following Jesus. It's no big deal. If you follow Jesus, then you won't get hell. It's kind of like covering all your bases just in case. You know? Maybe you've even used that before. But it looks really good to Americans because we've created an anything-goes mentality when it comes to following Jesus. We've created an army of people in which there are no rules, no sacrifice, no daily surrender. It's essentially a free-for-all with Jesus' name on it. But here's the deal. John says, Jesus says, if you're not willing to pay the price, you're not willing to be one of Jesus' soldiers. You know who the first follower of Christ was in the New Testament? John the Baptist. Whatever happened to old John the Baptist? Joey's doing the thing across his hand. He was beheaded. <laughs> the first proclaimer of Christ died before anybody else. He got his head cut off in prison. He was willing to pay the price. Have you ever read Revelation 6 where 
the same author here, John, is on the Isle of Patmos, and he's seeing these visions of, of Christ and, and the heavenly things, and these martyrs are crying out for Christ to avenge their blood. A martyr is someone who's died for their faith. Listen to what Revelation 6 says. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on this earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. According to Jesus himself, he's not coming back to judge the earth and reign forever until more believers die. There's a number of martyrs that are going to be completed before Christ will return. That might sound crazy to you right now. That might make you question all of the Bible and all of Christianity and maybe question me as your preacher. Good. Maybe you're realizing right now that you haven't been truly following Jesus according to the scriptures. I'm not advocating to you that murder is good or you must die for Jesus if you're truly going to follow him. But I am saying that if you're a follower of Jesus, you would count it a great joy to die for the Savior. On November 17th, maybe you heard this story. There was a uh, 2018. There was a 27-year-old American man named John Chow who was uh, convinced by God that he was going to go to the small island of the Sentinelese to preach the gospel to them. Maybe you heard this story. It made the news. A lot of people talked about it. American news reports, all forms of social media said awful things about the Christ that Chow proclaimed. This young man, passionate to bring the gospel to the darkest places on the earth, literally packed up a book bag, got on a kayak, and went to this secluded island, paddled there, and when he got there, he was chased by wild men with arrows the moment he arrived. Shortly after his arrival, nearby fishermen saw these islanders dragging his lifeless body around the shore, looking for somewhere to bury it. Chow's own father blames the ridiculous Christian community that promoted some extreme vision of following Jesus that led to his son's death. One Twitter user said, John Chow is not a martyr, just a dumb American who thought the tribals needed Jesus when the tribals already lived in harmony with God and nature for years without outside inference. Another commentator said, I'm sorry, but what a deluded idiot. But the words of Christ reverberated through this young man's life as he approached the island. John 8, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Pastor Dan, Jesus can't possibly demand that much of me. You can't possibly demand that much of me, and that's true. What about all these other people in church? Ain't I at least doing better than them? Ain't I at least following Jesus better than they are? Well, <laughs> well, let's see what Peter does. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is John. We've, we've talked about the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? He was following behind them. He was following behind them. And Peter sees him and says to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You 
follow me. What about John? Well, I'm at least following. I mean, is he going to die too? Like, it, Jesus' answer is, who cares what happens to John? You follow me. For all I care, John could never die if I decreed it. John could live forever. What does that have to do with you? I'm talking to you right now, Peter. Stop looking around and comparing yourself to others. Do you love me? Then follow me. Main Street, I, I beg of you to follow Jesus and not look around at others. But look at First Baptist. They, they have this new program. Pastor Dale, did you hear what the church down the street is doing? Pastor Dale, what about maybe this new method? We could give this a try, what they're doing down the street. Maybe, did you hear this, this church is alive and growing? Look at what they're doing. As long as I'm here, Main Street, I'm going to be leading you to follow the Bible, to follow Jesus Christ with our peripherals blinded, okay? <laughs> We're not doing this comparing game. We're keeping our eyes focused on what Christ has for us. Keep your eyes forward. Stop comparing yourself to others and our church to other churches. If God wants us to grow, he will give the growth. If God wants us to shrink, he'll bring the decline. If God wants us to die, it's going to be because we follow Jesus to a grave. Amen? Keep your eyes forward. Be freed from the crippling habit of comparing your walk with Christ to other people's walk with Christ. And listen, I mean, it's good to look at people like Paul. He says, imitate me. You know, as I imitate Christ. When you see people who are really good at following Jesus, that's, that's a good thing. Imitate that, okay? But it is not good to compare yourself with John in the hopes of lowering your own expectations. Stop looking at other people hoping you might get a, a, an easier sentencing to follow Jesus. I have to ask before we move on, you know, I mean, after 21 chapters of John's book, straight up, gospel, a raw look at Jesus' earthly ministry. Are you really interested in following Jesus? I mean, we just, we just read it, you know, the whole book. Like, are you really interested in following that? Is that something you really want to do? John is telling us that it's absolutely imperative that we do follow Jesus. But if you don't want to follow him, or if you do want to follow him, you should know that it requires more than a Sunday morning and an occasional tithe. Matthew 10, Jesus first commissions the 12 to go and preach the kingdom of heaven and to heal people, cast out demons. He gives them authority. He spends the rest of Matthew 10, the rest of that chapter, warning them. He says that persecution will come. You're going to be severely questioned and beaten for my name. They're going to be maligned just as he was maligned. And then he says, fear not man, Fear God who can kill the body and the soul in hell. And finally, he says the most shocking statement of all, Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I've come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Person's enemies will be of their own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I have to tell you, Pascal is wrong. 
If you follow Jesus, it costs your life. Whoever loses their life gains it in Christ. You don't gain Jesus unless you die to self. I want you to have life. This life is short. Pleasures are temporary. Money is fleeting. Worldly happiness is elusive. Lose this life. Take up the life that Christ died to give you. Follow him. But of course, loving Jesus and following Jesus doesn't make us righteous, does it? We could never love him enough or follow him enough for us to be accepted by God the Father and forgiven of our cosmic treason against his name. We could never follow him perfectly. So that's why John ends the book the way that he does. It's imperative that we love him. It's imperative that we follow him. But it's far more imperative that we believe in. We cannot love Jesus lest we believe. We cannot follow Jesus lest we believe. Look at the last two verses here. Verse 24. This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things. And who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So first of all, John is kind of like, it was me all along, right? I know I didn't give you my, my name in the introduction, but it was me, right? I'm the disciple who bore witness about these things, and I've got good news about what I've written. It's true. It's true. We saw it. We lived it. You're only reading about it, but we were there. The witness is true. We saw and heard all of Jesus' seven I am statements. We heard them all. We heard him preach himself from the Old Testament over and over and over again. We saw him heal. We saw him cast out demons. We saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. He washed our feet. He fed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. He walked on water. He taught like no one had ever taught before. He had so much compassion on the worst kinds of people. His humility was unmatched, only equal to his holiness. Zeal for his father's house consumed him. He was tempted in every way, but did not sin. But the truest of all truths that I've given you is that he was indeed God. God came to earth in the flesh through the man Jesus Christ. He was fully God and fully man, the preeminent Messiah who always has been, and, and yet entered earth for this one reason. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us. He was rejected by his own, hated by those he created, and those he came to save. He was given over to the Jews to be crucified and given a sentencing among the worst of criminals. He died a real, physical death. But more than that, he bore the weight of God's wrath that we deserved for our cosmic treason. He suffered the equality of hell and damnation by his own father. He became the sacrificial lamb for sinners that we might be washed, forgiven, and atoned for. He satisfied God's wrath. He gave us righteous robes and he stands today interceding for our sins and reigning over all things. This is Jesus. 
This is what we saw. If everything Christ ever did had been written down, the world itself could not contain it all. My humble means to show you this Savior is really not enough. Oh, that you had been there and seen everything that we saw. It's real. Believe it. Believe it. Believe it. Do you believe? It's imperative we believe. Imperative. Jesus is marveling over your unbelief today if you've made it through this entire book and still don't know just like he did with those in his hometown. He marveled over their unbelief. We've seen many Pharisees throughout this book remain in unbelief no matter what Jesus said or did. He raised a man who'd been dead for four days. He healed a man born blind. These people testified to his deity and to his truth, but their hearts remain hard. Your problem is not a love problem. Your problem is not a following Jesus problem. Your problem is a very deep spiritual problem. If you want to believe, the Spirit of God has to crush your own soul with the weight of sin like Peter felt looking into Jesus' eyes. Unless you experience grief from your own rebellion, you remain dead in your trespasses and sins like the many Pharisees who Jesus came in contact. They taught the law. They led Bible studies. They wore the right clothes. They prayed the right prayers. But on the in inside, they were whitewashed tombs. They were dead as dry bones lying dormant for years. Do you want to come alive? Do you want to experience the rich treasure of knowing and savoring Jesus Christ as Lord of all? Do you want to have the peace and joy your soul was created to live in? Do you want to meet the person who created you? Jesus said something very significant back in chapter 12. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, a seed goes in the ground and it dies, it remains alone. But, but if it dies, it bears much and he says again, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If you want to live in the way that I'm describing to you right now, it's going to require a death to take place. It's going to require your soul going into the ground like a seed and dying, being crushed by the weight of your own sin, realizing that there's nothing you can do about it, and looking Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, that you might come to new life and be raised into his name. True belief comes with repentance, and true repentance is followed by love, and true love is followed by service. This is how you will know you belong to Jesus. So Main Street, as we finish the Gospel of John, love Jesus, love him enough to serve the body of Christ, to give the lambs and the sheep the good food of the word. Tend to them in a unified, God-honoring way. Let your heart align with your hands and your mind as you not only love and desire him, but you also follow and serve him. Rid yourself of the worldly things that keep you from following him fully. Lose your life. Don't gain the world or you'll lose your soul. Follow him even unto death. And I beg of you, if you're still trapped in unbelief, 
don't go home today. It's too dangerous. Don't leave until you have known repentance of your sin and full belief in Jesus Christ that causes your heart to blossom with a love you've never felt before and a servitude you've never had before. He will save. A broken, a contrite heart, he doesn't turn away. He will hear you this morning. Sin is really, really bad. You've sinned against him. But grace is amazing. I want you to taste the goodness of God. You haven't. Come home. He is the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only that whoever should believe in him might not perish have everlasting life. You believe. All heads bowed. All eyes closed. I think I'm going to do something here. Billy Graham had done for years and years and years at his crusades. I'm going to ask you if you have that dead heart and you want to know the peace and the love and the joy and the, the, the ability to follow Jesus like I'm describing here. I want you to pray with me. And I want you to know that there's no magic words that save you. I, I'm not saying anything that's going to make you saved. I can't save you. You can't save yourself. Only God can save. Make that heart die. I'm alive in the way that I'm describing here. So if your heart is, is dead in sin and you're broken, you don't know where else to go, you've been fighting this battle for far too long, you're, you're, you're tired of worrying about what, what people might think of you, 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 you want to you make sure this is real. Today is the day. Today is the day. You know, it's Mother's Day and you've, you've got all these distractions going on and you're, you've got things to do this afternoon. Listen, I'm telling you that there's no, nothing more important to know in your life than this right now. If you believe in Jesus Christ. If you don't love Jesus, you probably don't believe. If, you, if you're not following Jesus with your life, you, you probably don't believe. And if you don't believe, the consequences of that is, is a forever eternal punishment. In so if you're ready to be gripped by the hand of God, be caught on your way to hell and to repent of your sins and follow him fully give your whole life away to this to lose it that you might gain it please pray with me Father Jesus Holy Spirit I know that I've messed up I know that I cannot save myself apparently sin is far worse than I realized sin has broken my relationship with you so God I'm asking you 
to repair what is broken. To come in to this stony heart and break it. To cast it away. That I might have new eyes to believe. That I might have a new heart to feel. That I might have a new mind to think and know you. Father, we just sang that nothing can wash away sin but the blood of Jesus. So I'm asking you, I'm begging you, will you take the blood of Jesus and wash me clean? Make me right with God. Give me the white robe of righteousness that you might see me as though I've never sinned. Help me to fully believe and never look back. And Lord, in this believing, would you help me to love you? I don't know if I know how to love you. But I've seen you love me through the cross. I want to love you like you've loved me. Lord, I don't know if I know how to follow you, but I want to. I want to follow you even if it costs my life. Make this real, Father. Change me. Kill the old man and make me new. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.